Corinthians. We feel uh, this is just the right time um, to teach from from this amazing letter. And uh, so we're going to start at the beginning. Where else would we start? So just a short reading this morning. Uh, So 1 Corinthians 1 and verses 1 to 3. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you that we're a people of word and spirit. And we want to be those who not only hear hear your word, but do what it says. And so as we embark on this new series, we thank you for the scriptures that we have. And we pray that we'll be attentive to them, that you'll mold us and fashion us as you would like, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've entitled this uh, introduction to 1 Corinthians as as You've Got Mail. And uh, I don't know if you've ever received someone else's mail. Has it ever happened to you? Yesterday I received a letter addressed to the Reverend Howard Jones. Baptist Mance, Back Ends, Chipping Camden. I think Howard left 25 years ago. Because we've been here nearly 24 years. So, but still receiving mail for Howard. I don't know if he's missing that person's mail. But um, there you go. I don't know if you've ever received someone else's mail. And have you been tempted to open it up? And to read what's in there? No, of course we wouldn't. We wouldn't do a thing like that at all. When we come to read some of the letters in the New Testament, we may be tempted to think that that is someone else's mail. It's addressed to someone else. What relevance would it have to our lives today? It was written 2,000 years ago. What relevance would it have to our lives? But I want to encourage you that Paul wrote this letter to you and to me. And to us, particularly, Camden Baptist Church. Yes, we know that he wrote it to tackle real issues in a specific local church, the church in Corinth. But right there in the the introduction that we read, he makes it clear that his goal was far bigger than just addressing the church in Corinth. In verse 2, he says, To the church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, And then he goes on to say, and together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That includes us. It's what we've been doing this morning, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So this is a message, God's message through the Apostle Paul to any local church, in any place and in any time. It's to us in 2020. I don't know about you, but I'm always fascinated 
about the stories of how churches came about. Whenever I pass a church building, I wonder what happened to establish that place of worship. There's a story attached to that. They have not always been there. And I'm privileged, along with Edward and others, to often tell the story of Camden Baptist Church. I get invited just to tell the story at places. Isn't that amazing? And I always start back in 1662. And everyone thinks, oh gosh, it's going to be long. 1662, when a group of dissenters who were not part of the established church began meeting in Chipping Camden. Amazing, isn't it? That's how we began as a church. Didn't become a Baptist church until 1724. And then it had its ups and downs through the years. And in fact, it actually closed. In 1867. And then a few years later, through an amazing guy called Richie Irvin, who I thank God for regularly, he reopened the church. They purchased two properties on the high street, demolished them, and built the present, what we call the high street building. And he built a house on the back, on the site of the original church. You know where the graveyard is. Amazing, isn't it? That's our story. In 1984, through ups and downs, it was about 13 members. We have that wonderful photo that we show often of Jenny looking exactly the same. And isn't it wonderful what God's done? And we're privileged to be able to tell the story that, that God has used this church in planting other churches. Shipston on Stour. Planted in 1999. It was a no-brainer, wasn't it? There were 30 people coming to Camden Baptist Church from Shipston. No-brainer. 13 people, 14 children. Let's plant a church. And then in 2005, the Lord prompted us to plant again in Bidford-on-Avon. I remember driving through Bidford and just hearing the Lord so clearly saying, now is the time to plant a church here. I know people have been praying about it for years. I remember ringing up the house group leader and saying, I'm coming to the house group tonight because I've got something to share with you. He said, don't come. We're about to close. We've got down to three people coming week by week. It's not working. I said, I'm coming anyway. Got there, 14 people had been turned up. Shared a vision for planting the church. A year later, there were 30 adults and 14 children ready to plant a church in Bidford. Met someone recently who, who came and had a chat with me and he said, have you heard what's going on at this amazing church called The Barn Bidford? It's fantastic. It's really growing, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it's fantastic. He didn't know that it actually come out of Camden Baptist Church. I was so tempted to say, but isn't it great what God has done? And so, how did the Corinthian church start? Well, shall we read about it? Okay. Pete said yes, so we're going to do it. Acts 18. This is the story. And it's amazing. So, you're going to follow it on the screen or in your Bibles. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila 
a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest And said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And then Paul left the synagogue and went next door. I always love that detail that Luke puts in. He left the synagogue and planted a church next door. Fantastic. To the house of Titius Justus. Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. If you've never known how the church in Corinth got planted, that's the story. I, I just find the Apostle Paul just the most amazing man. He's just like you and I. He's not a superman. Yet he walks into a city and he plants a church. And it wasn't just kind of some ordinary city. I mean, Corinth was a big place. It was uh, the fourth, probably the fourth city in the Roman Empire. A a metropolis. Corinth was built or rebuilt by Julius Caesar in about 46 BC after being sort of um, laid waste for many, many years. Julius Caesar built it just a couple of years before he was killed. It was a prosperous seaport, a trading center. And if the uh, phrase is true that at the time that all roads lead to Rome, it would have also had the caveat, But they all go through Corinth first. It was a brash metropolis. It was a city greedy for power, dedicated to pleasure. The Greeks actually had a word that they, a sort of word for debauchery. If you don't know what debauchery means, look it up in the dictionary. And uh, but their word, the Greek word for debauchery, was. Corinthians, I don't know my Greek very well. Anyway, it means to live like a Corinthian. A debauched person is to live like a Corinthian. And dominating the city were pagan temples. The biggest one of which was right on the Acropolis, the temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. And from that temple, there would be a thousand priestesses who were sex workers, who would ply their trade in the city. But there would be other temples as well. Temple of Apollo, where there were male prostitutes. And in fact, we're told that a large proportion of the population 
were slaves. So Paul arrives in this amazing place. We have a picture of the missionary journey, just to let you know which direction he's come from. Okay. So the second missionary journey is the one that he establishes Corinth. So he goes up there, he goes up there, through there. And you've heard of some of these places, Iconium, Lystra. And then he gets to about here, and he feels he should be going right into Asia, into Galatia and Bithynia. But he has a vision. And the vision is a man from Macedonia over here. So he has a dream, a vision. And the man from Macedonia in his vision says, come over and help us. And the Holy Spirit stops them going right and encourages them to cross over into Macedonia. And he establishes a church in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and then he goes to Athens, and then he ends up here in Corinth. Thanks. He's not just on his own, though. He gathers around him a team, Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife team. They were Jews, believers in Jesus, who had been forced out of Rome by the Emperor Claudius in a crackdown. And then he's joined by Silas and Timothy a little bit later on. And we're told that Paul stayed there some 18 months, which is quite a long time for the Apostle Paul to stay in one place. And the other thing that we're told is that Crispus, who was the synagogue ruler, became a follower of Jesus. Not only him, but his entire household became Christians. And we get the hint that the other synagogue ruler called Sosthenes also became a believer because he's actually mentioned there right at the beginning. It's as almost as Sosthenes was writing down Paul's letter. And Paul at the end says, I write this in my own handwriting. And he would write at least two letters to this church. This was a dynamic, chaotic church, which Paul loved with a passion and exasperation all at the same time. I don't know what comes to mind when someone might ask you, what, do you, what comes to mind when you hear the church in Corinth or 1 Corinthians? You might think, Oh, lots of trouble. Getting carried away with the Holy Spirit. Oh no, there's that amazing passage on love. All of it's in this letter. I've sometimes heard people say, I wish we could be like a church in the New Testament. I wish we could be a New Testament church. You know, 21st century, we've got all this baggage. I wish we could be a New Testament church. And I have to say to people, which one? Which one do you really want to be like? But we're probably like them all. We'd like to be like the one on the day of Pentecost, when it all started. When, when Peter gets up and he preaches, full of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 become believers on that day and they're baptized. Yeah, I want to be a church like that, don't you? We want to be a church like in Acts 2, 42, when they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. 
That's us. We are devoted to the apostles' teaching. We are devoted to fellowship. We are devoted to prayer. We are devoted to the breaking of bread. It's who we are. But the New Testament also reveals that the early church was the original, very first, messy church. Stuff like that, but division and quarreling and sin and immorality and factions and false teaching and litigation... And the, churches, and the church in Corinth suffered from those things. As new believers, some who were Jews, but many of them had come from a pagan background. And they got saved. And they're beginning to learn what discipleship means. They don't become holy overnight. Hands up who have become holy overnight because you believed in Jesus. You've become the perfect Christian overnight because you believed in Jesus. They were grappling with what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus in Corinth. Indeed, Paul says that some of their Sunday gatherings were so disorderly that he says at times, your meetings do more harm than good. Mm -hmm. So any nostalgic views of the early church, when we put them on a pedestal and say, oh, the early church, if we were just like the early church, be careful what you would wish for. I was challenged about a similar thing about the persecuted church. In my visits, because I've, I've been privileged to visit lots of persecuted believers, it, I'm tempted to put them on a pedestal because they are amazing. The courage that they have is truly amazing. See what they, they go through and how they stand for Jesus is amazing. I remember but just talking to a pastor once and I was just talking about his church and it was just like ours. It had its ups and downs and it's, you know, people were crawling and people falling out with each other. And, they were, you know, they're not a perfect church. We can't put them on a pedestal and say that is the perfect church. There isn't one. Yes. But we're going to be. And we're being made perfect. And when we see Jesus, we will be like him. So just a few points as this introduction um, invites us to go on a journey through this letter. We have these letters, this one in particular, to remind us that the early church is just as imperfect as the 21st century church. But that God advances his kingdom through ordinary men and women like you and me. And ordinary churches like us. We're the ones that God chooses to use to bring good news to a lost and a broken world because who else will? And don't think you're ever disqualified from sharing the good news of grace and truth of Jesus just because you don't feel you're a perfect Christian. If you're waiting for that day to share the gospel, you will never share the gospel. 
the good news is that imperfect as I am, God loves me and he saved me and all my sins are forgiven and I have an assurance of eternal life. That is brilliant news, whether I am perfect or not, which I'm not, by the way, you know that. These letters remind us just how fruitful the early church was. But do you know the church of Jesus Christ is more fruitful now than it has ever been? There are more people coming to faith in Jesus now than ever? We are part of an amazing church. Being at Fresh Streams, Gavin Calver was asked, he was interviewed about the, the, the demise of the church. The church is in decline. The church is dying. He says, no, it's not. Church has never been bigger, never been greater. There have never been more people coming to faith in Christ. We are one church. Now, if you want to talk about Camden Baptist Church, are we still growing? Well, we're still seeing people saved. We're seeing people healed. We're seeing people set free. Are we growing numerically in numbers that we would love to? No, we're not. But the Holy Spirit is at work within us. Corinth was that fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Probably the biggest city that Paul had ever seen. And he tells us that he arrives full of weakness and trembling. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3. Weakness and trembling. Gosh, if Paul feels weak and trembling, you should see me on a Sunday morning. That's just in front of friends and brothers and sisters. He arrived at probably what was an unpromising location to plant a church. Yet against all the odds, a church is established. And a vibrant, amazing, glorious, messy church. And he has a direct vision, which is always encouraging Don't be afraid, I have many people in this city. That's such an encouragement to get, isn't it? I remember one Alpha course, I can't remember, years ago, I was praying about the Alpha course, and God just said, I'm going to save people on this course. Well, I expect him to do that on every course. But I tell you what, because I heard it direct, it was like, you know, one of those moments. I remember that Alpha course, I just was, you know, certain, just certain. People were going to get saved. What a wonderful thing to have God say to Paul. Okay, you're going to be opposed. You're going to be thrown out of this. You're going to, you know, they're going to threaten your life. I've got people here who are going to get saved. Paul saw many converts, both Jews and Gentiles, mainly Gentiles. So for all its faults and failings, as we'll discover as we go through this letter, it was the kind of church that God could use. And the letter reminds us of how much grace God pours out on his church through the power of his Holy Spirit. We're tempted to think sometimes that the early church grew because of its own godliness, holiness, and purity. Well, there were things like that. Ananias, Sapphira, remember that story. Godliness and purity. Holy Spirit just dealt with them.
But you will know from reading this letter that the Corinthian church was not a perfect church, yet God still used it. And that's an encouragement. It was because God's infinite love and grace, the Lord loves to save the lost, and he turns sinful people into the church of God. He describes them in this letter in various ways, the field of God, the building of God, the temple of God, the body of Christ, the aroma of Christ, the letter from Christ. They were a people with a message of hope, a living hope that the world could not ignore. And Paul tries to capture this paradox in verse 2 that we read together when he tells them that they are the sanctified in Christ, called to be a holy people. And we go, yeah, what? The Corinthians? Yeah. Sanctified in Christ, called to be holy. That's what you are. You're sanctified in Christ, called to be holy. And God can use you. The church was to become what it already was in Christ. And I guess this is the thing that just resonated with me as as I thought about introducing this new series. We want to be the church that we already are in Christ. I want to be the believer in Christ that I already am in Christ. Do you understand what I mean? There are times when I don't feel I am who God tells me I am. And that we're not as a church who God says we are. And I want us through this series to discover more and more that we are who God says we are. Individuals and as a church. His beautiful bride, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, his special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Yes, this letter contains some tough love, discipline, challenge. We'll hear about stuff that we wouldn't think goes on in a church. But it also contains some of the most beautiful description of God's love ever written. And it contains that reminder to the church, remember whose you are. Remember who, whose church it is. So let's walk together through this message, this incredible letter, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Learning what kind of church God is calling us to be and the kind of church he says we are. Amen? I invite you to stand, I invite the band to come back.